Are you afraid of the dark? I hope not. Welcome to this meeting of the Midnight Society. I'm glad you've decided to join us because I have a really interesting story to tell. It's pretty intense. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that you won't be able to move a muscle until it's finished. Just like Tim, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Dustin is actually the hero of this story. Well, maybe hero is putting it a little strong. I mean, Dustin does great in school and everything. He's a straight A student, but he's not exactly hero material. He's always got his nose in a book and his idea of a good time is to visit a museum. Now don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with reading or museums. It's just that Dustin isn't the kid you'd necessarily think of calling when the going got rough. Dustin's sister, Brianne, certainly doesn't think of him as heroic. Neither does Tim. He's one of Dustin's friends. In fact, they both think Dustin is, well, sort of a wimp. But let's hope they're wrong. Very, very wrong. Because Dustin is about to face one of the most evil and diabolical forces ever to be unleashed in the modern world. And when he does, the life of his friend and of his sister will hang in the balance. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this story The Case of the Sinister Statues. Good morning, Sinister Statues. This is Big Orange Couch, the 90s Nickelodeon podcast where we talk about all things 90s Nickelodeon. My name's Joey. I'm Andrew. Hi, guys. I'm Tim. I'm Adam. Hey, I'm Vince. And this is episode 178. We're deep into Podtober, and we're talking Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, The Tale of the Sinister Statues, the book. (laughs) Yeah, the book. <laughs> Everybody's like, what episode is that? <laughs> <laughs> there is a statue episode in season seven, right? Uh, yeah, horrible one. Uh, the worst what? of the season. <laughs> it no, out. no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, now I, now I recall we strongly Weeping disagreed over something. that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no, uh, Andrew's definitely right. I went through those two seasons <laughs> and, like, I was pleasantly surprised by my revisit of some of them. Some of them are really good, but no, that statue one is just like, <laughs> I mean, they were really scraping the bottom of the barrel yes. by the time season seven ended. All right. All right. And Jay Baruchel carried season six. I'm just saying that. <laughs> he is Jay very Baruchel. good. He carries everything. Yeah. Well, nothing um, is better than Jake. Jake. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard agree. Hard agree. Um, well, yeah, thanks, Tim, Adam, uh, of course, Vince is, uh, your second time this Podtober, so you're just, uh, you're getting comfortable on the couch. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> uh, I'm glad the couch can fit all of us. <laughs> six that's, feet apart, that's, six that's feet apart. Part. I know. <laughs> we'll need several big orange couches. <laughs> 
This is our um, second ever book club. So last uh, Podtober, um, we talked about the Are You Afraid of the Dark book, The Tale of the Restless House. Um, so this is our second foray into the series. Um, and it's done by the same author. So if you remember from last Podtober, this is a guy named John Peel. Uh, and John Peel is a British uh, author who writes all sorts of stuff. He wrote four in the series of are you afraid of the dark he wrote um this one of course restless house there's also books called the tale of zero hero and the tale of the three wishes um but he's worked on all sorts of stuff so uh he he wrote a book i guess there was a shelby woo book series he wrote one called hot rock um (laughs) there must have been an alex mack series he wrote one one called i spy lost in vegas um, he wrote a bunch of Carmen Sandiego books. Uh, he wrote a bunch of Doctor Who books, um, two indie, eerie Indiana books, which I did not yeah. know existed, but sounds Ooh. intriguing. Uh, one called Simon and Marshall's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> um, <laughs> he wrote um, a James Bond Jr. series um, and then a bunch of Star Trek's Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. Um, so he's this is kind of his gig of like adapting, I think pop culture properties. Um, and, uh, I, I think we'll probably get into our thoughts on him as a writer. Uh, Andrew, do you have some thoughts? Sure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This, uh, we should mention is the, I think is the first book that was released in the series. Um, so I don't know, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. That's, um, I think that's a little bit of a tough go. You know, I'm in, I'm interested just to maybe start with people's thoughts. So you don't have to give everything away, but maybe just going around and giving like your general impression of like, did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you know what? What did you kind of feel? What about what about you, Tim? Well, the two major things I can't help but compare it to is an actual Goosebumps book and the actual show for Are You Afraid of the Dark? I think writing wise, it stands. Heads like heads above what an average goosebump is. Um, certainly not a literary masterpiece, but like it read properly. Um, there were some interesting parts in it. Um, I feel like if it were an episode of the show, it would be in a lot. Of, it's like a much better version of the tale of the quiet librarian in a lot of ways. I felt um, there's definitely more like action and even like a gory part that would never have been in the show like i like uh what's the kid's name dustin gets his like arm torn up by one of the monster things and um it just felt like it was a little bit more mature than you would see in the show um all in all i enjoyed it more than i expected to um i went into it thinking i would find it like a little cute but i do feel like if it were an episode of the tv show it would have been one of the better ones and also, I think that the guy who plays Leonid in the tale of the 13th floor would be perfect to play Stone. <laughs> yes. And, yes. And I mean, honestly, if he didn't get that role, he could have played Anubis, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What about you, Adam? So uh, I uh, I first read this book, I think, back when you first announced it in like maybe April, May. Uh, so uh, I, I had some time to sit on it and a lot of it drifted <laughs> away. <laughs> Let me tell you. Sure. Uh, I, I revisited a lot of chapters and got back into it. And on the second pass, I ha- was a little more forgiving. But mm-hmm. I, I think the, the the first half is very rough. 
it, it yeah. uh, takes a it's a lot of repetitive gets takes a lot of ramping up. Once you get to the action, though, it's it's a little more I'm a little more forgiving of it. I thought, uh, yeah, and uh, I think I preferred it to. I did not read it, but to your episode on the uh, the house last year. Mm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Vince, what do you think? Uh, well, I thought it started out, started out a lot better than the last book we read. And then by the end, I kind of thought it just fell apart and it was rushed. Okay. But it was definitely giving me like unfinished painting vibes a little bit. Mm. And maybe a little bit of Captured Souls and maybe Dangerous Soup even with the gargoyle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. By the way, Vince, thank, thanks so much. This is your second time. This is two books. Neither of which I personally would recommend someone read. So, <laughs> you know, you're a real trooper. All of you guys, Tim, Adam, thank you so much for, um, and all the people who out there who aren't, aren't on the podcast, but I know bought books. Um, thank you guys so much for I'm thrilled partaking to do this. in this. <laughs> in the world of literature, there's like Charles Dickens and then there's John Peel. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up, and I, I thought it was crazy that John Peel was like was forty when he penned this. Wow! <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Like, I feel like they're. I felt like almost literary typos. <laughs> and I, I appreciated that there's an author bio in the back of the book, as if he's like, just like a figure that anyone would have any particular interest in. I mean, he's. He's an author for hire, essentially. Like they probably contract him from an agency to do adaptations. Yeah, yeah. Part of his about the author is like him getting married, like details on like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Going he, to Long he, Island. He graduated primary school at eleven years old, and just you know. And he's from Nottingham, England, home of Robin. I noticed that. Yeah, I mean, you can right really there. feel the uh, the uh, European influence. In this story, <laughs> a real love of a of a art. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what did you make of this? Just uh, uh, kind of generally. Uh, I thought it was all right. Um, I mean, I had a similar time, I think, with this as as we did with um, the Restless House. Uh, I I think I. I think I enjoyed the second half more um, for reasons that I'll uh, expand upon. But, um, you know, I, I didn't hate it. Like, by the time I got to the end, I was like, all right, that was okay. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I, I you know, I, I always feel like I'm taking the air out of the sails here. I, I, I just hated this thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> um, you know, we announced it. Uh, we announced it in March, so my apologies, Adam. Uh, I, 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 I do think we thought we were going to get to it faster, and then, you know, I think the pandemic ramped up, and, uh, you know, we just lost track of it. But um, I got, you know, Andrew, you let me borrow the book maybe a month, a month and a half ago, and I read, like, three pages, <laughs> and then I, like, checked out for, like, three weeks. Um, and then... I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not too embarrassed to say I finished it about 13 hours ago. Um, I just, wow. it was painful for me to get through. I really didn't enjoy it. Um, I like the first half a little bit. The second half is just ramps into this kind of crazy thing that like, if we're staying true to Are You Afraid of the Dark makes no sense to me. 
it's you know it feels like more like an indiana jones story or something mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but uh you know the the at least the first half with the mystery even though he takes like 50 pages of repeating himself in the museum you know <laughs> at least there's that sense of like what's happening in the museum that's interesting um but this was a real slog for me. Uh, I think in comparison, Restless House is a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, so definitely my pass of the book. I, I thought that um, I was trying to read it from the perspective of the audience. This isn't, I don't think it's supposed to be read in one sitting. I think it's supposed <laughs> to be like, you know, every night over a week night, you're supposed to read another chapter or two. And, yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that made me, uh, feel it out a little better but i did ha- i had a rough first read let me tell you i think i think i didn't forget it i put it out of my memory <laughs> yeah it's uh, yeah i don't know i i definitely had an easier time with restless house of just like in a sitting doing it and mm-hmm. i don't know to me it must for me personally it must say something that like i had no interest in like continuing as i read um, maybe, maybe because maybe it works better for a kid, but maybe also because like it was so apparent what was happening, like 25 pages in mm-hmm. that thinking I had another hundred pages for them to like kind of <laughs> get to where I'm already at was frustrating. I don't know. Hmm. So, so it's kind of like the gruesome gourmets in literature form. <laughs> no, because up till the very last moment of gruesome gourmets, those I still think they could have been cannibals. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, and just back to gruesome gourmets for a second because I know we've about a lot. Please, um, please do. Okay, so season six is really, if you just put yourself in the mentality of somebody who is the target audience at the time, I really feel like season six fits in with the first five seasons more than it does season seven and gruesome gourmets Mm. would be considered a fun classic if it had come out in like season two or season three preach tim no andrew come on like can you not put your andrew normally i'm on your side and like um frankly i feel like joey stacks the easy things in his corner (laughs) Um, and like you're you're often fighting the uphill battle but um i mean you're just you're way off the mark with gruesome gourmets you know i think that my real problem with it is like the structurally it's like the you know all the details are fine like i could see Dude, I, i've heard together. your complaints yeah. i've listened to the episode many times <laughs> well, <laughs> and i mean it's horrible. not perfect it's i mean but like you're you it's almost as if you're judging and not you specifically but we judge those seasons with a wiser and more educated lens when we're not realizing <laughs> that if we were putting the first five seasons under that same level of scrutiny like we'd we'd be saying the same things, but we just happen to have absorbed them at the right time. Okay, I see what I hear. What you're saying, I disagree, but um, it's okay. We can still th- be acquaintances. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't think anything's gonna make me uh, turn around on gruesome gourmets. It's just that's okay. But being able to change is a sign of wisdom. <laughs> You're right, so you might want to consider <laughs> rethinking Gruesome Gourmets. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not changing, I'll be stupid. <laughs> um, 
no, it's 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 a very good episode, and I think like uh, you know, I think there is truth to the like the fact that we give a little leeway to these original run episodes. For example, I think like Locker Twenty Two fits far better in season seven than it does in in um in the early run. I like just, Locker 22 because it attempts something more like cerebral. And I feel like that's a hard, a hard thing to do to write to like a preteen audience. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I, I will agree that the episode sort of falls, falls flat, but conceptually I think it's pretty sound. And also, yeah. man, I'm just going through season seven and it's like, there's some real stinkers in season six, but like, <laughs> On rewatch, some of them were actually pretty. Like, I enjoyed it. And uh, you know what episode doesn't get enough credit? What's the one with Jay Baruchel where it's like uh, a performance of Macbeth? Yeah. Uh, um, Walking Shadow? Yeah. Yes, yes. And, like, I mean, first off, it's got, like, it's like a who's who of (laughs) secondary um, Are You Afraid of the Dark characters when you really... Like, I don't think you guys name all, all of the recurring characters that show up, like... Cooper Piccolero is in it, and there's just like three or four old ladies that were like involved in like Watcher's Woods and the Tale of the Lonely Ghost, and just like it, it's worth its weight in salt. It's worth its weight just because of that. Yeah, but this is not a discussion of season six, is it? <laughs> Andrew, you like that episode pretty good, though, yeah, didn't you? I had a pretty high rating on that one. I, I mean, Jay Parrishell is just a real actor, so it's yeah. just like any episode he's in, he shines over just like, hey, Denny, I think there's something wrong with the compass, or like, you know, whatever. <laughs> to, uh, to get back on track here, uh, what, what, what season do you guys think uh, Sinister Statues belongs in? Hmm. Sinister Statues. It's too ambitious for any, <laughs> like... The Indiana Jones thing was sort of right. Um, a good comparison because of all the stuff that goes on. What made the third act really work for me is I just, uh, the music that plays in the tale of the captured souls when like the kid's room is like flipping over into a laboratory. That's pretty much what I pictured while these kids were um, mm. like, like I feel like it would have that sort of vibe if it was an episode. And I feel like the writing was more ambitious for it. Yeah. But uh, it would be a season four episode. Ooh, maybe season five. It, I don't, I don't know. Now I'm Man. stuck. <clears throat> it would be definitely the highest production value of any of them, <laughs> other than maybe like the silver site. Yeah, that's one of the things I think it works. It works well with the format. How you can kind of do things that would be tough to pull off in the show. Yeah, yeah, including like the protagonist actually getting like mauled <laughs> yeah it's I only mean, as think... violent as you uh, interpret it well no i mean he says like they mentioned how his like hand is useless <laughs> it's like, oh wow so like, like he yeah. must have just like had like the tendons ripped through or something like that there, there's no like strong description of it but it's like i don't think anybody like even cuts themselves on a swiss army knife in the like actual show hmm I think just make it a two-parter with Stone Maiden in season seven. And, uh... Stone Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Lunar Locust can make an appearance. Don't forget about Jake. Yeah. <laughs> That's what um, we need is just like a, a dark uh, cinematic universe. 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Just like Sardo leading one side and Vink on another. <laughs> what do you think, Andrew? What season? Uh, man, I imagine it as like a season six episode, but just not done as well as it's like <laughs> described, you know, just kind of cheesy, more like Jake the snake, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean that, I guess my overall problem with the episode is it, or episode, the book is that it just doesn't feel like an Are You Afraid of the Dark to me. So it's, feels like a goosebumps to me. Yeah. yeah it's guess... hard to put anywhere. Um, but, uh, okay. Well there, as I was reading this, I, I truly felt remorse that Andrew had to break this thing down. Um, but uh, as, as we heard at the start of the episode, our friend Candace uh, introed the book with a, a what a what I would deem a terrible Midnight Society opening <laughs> intro. And I would cite specifically, let me turn here. It says, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, I call this story The Case of... Let me repeat that. Yeah. The case of the sinister statues to which I would say this man, John Peel, has never seen an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> I don't think he has any interest in Are You Afraid of the Dark? And it's uh, very frustrating. I mean, who? I don't know. That was a, a big blunder. Like it just, you know, sticks out at you. <laughs> I mean, the, the yeah. title of the book corrects it. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> You you yeah you got the title of the book wrong. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I just turned to it. <laughs> Maybe he got like the spec script for it and just like said, "Are you afraid of the dark?" at the top, and he was just like, "No, I'm not." Thanks for asking. And just like, went into the rest of it. Anyway, here's my spooky tale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. There's a lot of little things in this about his writing style that frustrate me a little bit, but um, okay. So we have our intro. So uh, Andrew, do you want to start us out? Yeah. Uh, so this first chapter is pretty packed. Brienne and Tim hoping to inject some excitement into her brother Dustin's life, hide behind lockers at school and jump jump out to scare him. But he runs into a bully and has to be saved by Mister Bradford. Dustin is in charge of watching Brienne for the weekend, and along with Tim, they head to the museum. Tim thinks it'll be funny to draw a mustache on one of the statues, but he's caught by a zombie calling himself Prothe- Professor Thaddeus Stone. Yeah, um, so we got we got Tim a prankster. We got yeah. Dustin and Brienne, brother and sister. Brienne's kind of like snotty. Dustin's a real nerd since he likes reading in museums, uh, as John Peel over and over points out. Um, and uh, we have... Professor Stone, who curates the museum. They're, these are kind of our key figures. Um, yeah. Uh, this, man, this is what kind of bothers me a little bit. And I get it. Like, it makes sense to pack this much stuff up front, I guess, for kids. But it kind of drives me crazy just, like, how packed these first chapters are in both of these books, really. Um, Especially because the next couple, like, six chapters are going to drag for a yeah. Yeah, it's like you can spread some of this um, information out a little bit. Um, also, yeah. Also, I just wanted to mention um, this description of Doctor Stone at the end of this chapter. Like, <laughs> I thought he was a zombie, and I was like surprised in chapter two when he turns out to be a human. Like, oh, like the way he describes it, it's like this is literally a zombie. 
Yeah, yeah he, his description makes uh, Count Olaf sound li- like the David. Yeah. <laughs> and Dr. Stone is also just a little too on the nose. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, yeah, so, I, they they could have named him anything else. Yeah. What do you mean, Tim? <laughs> I thought oh, he sorry. was a statue. Yeah. Like John Peel was like, oh, nailed it. <laughs> I mean, just to put stone. <laughs> They're going to be talking about this in 2020. Um, yeah, just to put it in perspective, like you get so much information right off the top here, and then we don't even get to the secret laboratory till page 75, chapter 12. Yeah, I mean, like, think of think of that gap of information, and like, there's just so much repeating of information in this yeah, book. Yeah. You got to get all the nerd shaming in early. <laughs> And boy, does he nerd shame. I mean, like, if you like museums or reading, you're just a real square to John Peel. Yeah, I got triggered from that. I like museums. Yeah, no way. It's just like, I picture myself like like him now. And I mean, he shares my names. Or no, Tim doesn't. It's Brian who's the main character. My bad. No, it's Brianne, Dustin, and then Tim, yeah. the friend. And then Brad's yeah. the bully who at one point says, prepare to eat teeth. And I really like that. <laughs> um, normally they go for like toast-based puns. Mm. So like, like you're toast or prepare to be toast. So uh, prepare, to be, prepare to eat teeth was just that little sort of John Peel flair that I've come to appreciate. <laughs> I, I would definitely say that uh, Brienne is the, the main character of the story. Because she's the only one that changes. <laughs> Oh, yeah! Oh. Like she's the only one that actually has a journey. Yeah, that that develops. <laughs> and Dustin like comes into his own though because he finds new self confidence. He's still the same old nerd who likes to read and learn, um, but now he's got self confidence, <laughs> which I would find weird. That because uh, in this this first chapter describes Dustin as like you know a bookish to the fault of like he will like ignore the world around him. Uh, He's but... like the guy from um, Time Enough at Last. <laughs> like his yeah, right. first, uh, they portray him. The real Henry. But then again, it's just like then you got Brad, who is like going to have extreme post-traumatic stress disorder for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, like who that who who even knows what happens to Tim? I mean, I know he gets out, but like, where does he go from here? He was just a statue. <laughs> Can we can we stop for a second and talk about um, Tim's home life? Is is everything okay? <laughs> right, right. I, I forgot. Yeah, uh, I, I, I couldn't mean, quite figure out whether he was like being raised by his sister or what. What was happening here? I mean, I think his father spends his days at the tracks, and his like mom is like sleeping one off. Oh, <laughs> oh the Patakis. <laughs> okay, yeah, like Helga, yeah. Like Helga, well, um, at least Olga, at least Helga's dad holds down a job. But I mean, it, I mean, is what he does even better than spending his day at the tracks? <laughs> Plus, it's like, where are they now? He was the beeper king. Like, can there even be a beeper king anymore? Twenty twenty no, would be hardest on him. Oh yeah, yeah. He'd, like, he'd like be, what uh, he do it now? He'd have a whole new line of work. Yeah, I, I believe in Big Bob's um, <laughs> ability to transition to a different. Uh, yeah, to adapt uh, his electric- ability to enterprise yeah. electronic communications this is the era for for big mom all right back to this riveting yeah. back to this riveting story um so tim goes to clean up his handiwork at the museum 
Um, but, and when Dustin and Brienne go to find him later, the doctor claims that their friend left early. After dinner, they call Tim's sister's house, but he's not there either. So they decide they have to go back to the museum to look for him. So, I mean, already this is like, I don't know, they're back and forth in one chapter, like home museum, home museum. Um, anyway. yeah. uh, t- Tim's, uh, Tim's prank wasn't really worth any of this. Yeah. <laughs> a, a mustache on a statue. Like really? <laughs> yeah. That, that's a weird, it's a weird like thing to even think of. Like, let's go to the museum and then draw a mustache on a statue. Like Tim's definitely dealing with some deeper issues here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like nobody thinks it's just like, like, Hey, let's go ruin antiquity. It's like, it's <laughs> a cry like, for go, help. Go out yeah. and like, smash rocks against bigger rocks or something like that. <laughs> I don't think the crime justifies the punishments, but I don't think the pun- the crime was worthwhile at all. Yeah, it's it just doesn't even sound fun. I mean, I guess they'd find it silly, but still. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I feel like that prank made me realize that I actually have grown up because as a kid, I'd be like, oh, that's funny. Now I'm like, you damn kids, what are you doing? That's stupid. <laughs> no respect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should remind ourselves that 10-year-olds are reading this and they might be like, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sounds like Quince is on uh, Stoneside. A random question here. What is uh, your favorite museum you guys have been to? Ooh. Well, I live up in New Hampshire, so I have, like, the Boston Museum of Fine Arts is absolutely beautiful, but also... um, we have a really nice science museum that's better for children because it is like geared more towards that. And um, our aquarium is top notch as well. Hmm. I know we don't have, you know, the same level of museums that larger urban areas do, but I, like I can, the Boston Museum of Fine Arts is amazing. Yeah, I live outside of Philly, so there's all kinds of stuff around here. Uh, the Philadelphia Art Museum is an absolute, you know, must see. Uh, but also, th- there's some quieter art museums around here, like the the Barnes Foundation, which I had a I've had a blast at. Yeah, judging judging by my accent, I'm in New York, so definitely the Met Museum of Natural History is great, and uh, Liberty Science Center is a really fun place to go if you have kids. Yeah, if you have kids, I would definitely recommend uh, the Ben Ben Franklin Institute in Philly. Hmm. Well, we uh, have the Cleveland Art Museum, which has been pretty good. Um, I mean being able to go there over the years uh also um i have been to the philadelphia art museum whatever that's called and the <laughs> that's it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> nailed it <laughs> and uh the new york one um said moma or MoMA. i don't know what the, okay mm-hmm. uh yeah those were all very cool i thought yeah do we do the moment together now that i'm thinking of it we may have um with daniel yeah i think so okay yeah, that was a great one. I mean, I'm a sucker for any art museum. I love the um, the art museum in D.C. I also love the Portrait Gallery in D.C. But uh, I think the Cleveland Art Museum is extremely underrated. Uh, really great. We have the Rock Hall, which is what like most people ask about when coming here, and it's something I wouldn't necessarily recommend. But um, is it our, just our too ne- tacky? Well, it's too expensive. First. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, if you've never done it, it's okay. But it's definitely like living in the city, like once is enough kind of thing to me. Oh, yeah, I hear that. I mean, I would definitely check it out if I were there. But I also 
you're you're probably right because every area has a place like that. Yeah, I mean, if I were to go back, I'm definitely drawing a, a mustache on Elvis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's respectful. Maybe yeah, you can yeah. um, detail some of the uh, the guitars that are hanging up. <laughs> They're just asking for it. Oh yeah. Andrew, I think you might know of my love of this museum, but there's a museum um, in Buffalo near uh, in Niagara um, called the Niagara Wax Museum. And uh, it is the strangest wax museum I've ever been in. It's not very good. It's like not been updated since the 70s, but that that's what makes it so like fun. Um, so if you're ever in Niagara on the American side, check out the Niagara Wax Museum. Have the time of your life. You can take a picture of yourself going over the falls in a barrel. Um, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's really bizarre, but uh, charming. So, okay, then, I had to give a plug. And there's one on the Canada side, too, that's just as, like, outdated. <laughs> yeah, the Canada side has a couple. Um, yeah. One's, like, very nice and one's pretty dated. Um, but this one's just purely dated. <laughs> I, I, I went there, but I was really creeped out by the custodian, this this guy named Dr. Stone. He had this giant nose and Stone. skeleton body. <laughs> I, I knew that Mother Teresa looked too lifelike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew, where were we? Um, uh, they yeah. can't find so Tim. back at the museum. They can't find Tim or the sta- statue that he vandalized. And they get kicked out by Stone. Um and they recognize like a weird cat-like creature with wings and they recognize the guard on their way out. Um, there's just like a lot of point, like a lot of these like points that, uh, that like through while I was reading it, I was thinking, Oh, I like, I got to remember that or something. Um, and they all kind of point to the same thing finally, but like, so quickly seeing this cat creature and then the guard recognizing the guard. Um, I don't know. It just feels like kind of overloaded with these details. Yeah. Uh, I, I also worth mentioning the, uh, the statue, the one that he defaced. Uh, I, I believe it's the, uh, the Discop- uh, uh, the disc thrower mm-hmm. or oh. at least some parody of it. <laughs> if it don't have, I, I can't imagine this podunk town as the official. <laughs> <laughs> Discopolis of Myron, but um, I mean, they so they end up basically right here discovering that the guard looks just like the missing statue. Um, I guess this is our clue to what's going on, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so yeah. you you guessed exactly what was going on here. I mean, I definitely knew that they were. Yeah, I knew they were turning kids into statues and that statues were becoming people. Now, did I guess the cage mechanism <laughs> that uh, Stone is using in the basement? Spoiler, sorry. Uh, no, but, you know, it's pretty clear he's just transferring kids to statues and statues to people or living things. Okay. okay. I, I thought. Yeah. I'm so, I, I, I mean, don't know. I, no, I guess I, I mean, I realized the statue thing was going on. I guess I just didn't even think about the other kids. Like, um, the, I, I, I mean, also like the title of the book, right? Like, so I know there's something going on with statues, yeah, yeah. uh, and the moment Tim goes missing, I'm like, okay, well maybe Tim's a statue now. <laughs> Tim goes missing and a guy named Stone tells you that it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all the pieces you need. Just doing the math. Um, so they run into Brad, the bully at the museum and he gets taken away. And Dustin and Brienne end up getting banished from the museum again. 
Um, and on their way out, he, he notices a statue screaming that looks just like Tim. So they're back outside the museum. They notice something up in one of the trees trying to catch a squirrel. And when Dustin climbs up the tree, he sees a strange creature fly into the museum's window. And he and Brienne decide the only way to find their friend is to break in. Um, so they bust the lock on the door and wander the halls until they run into a giant cat with wings. Uh, I feel like this is where it starts getting a little bit um, just more interesting for me, I guess. I just wanted like more to happen at this point. Yeah. Like I said, it's just it ends up being like a lot of repeating of the plot. Like, OK, yeah. so here's what's going on. This, this, this. And then like they'll do something new and then they'll like restate. It. It's like, OK, so now here what's going. Here's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. This, 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 this. Um, and we're on like cycle two out of five. <laughs> by this point um yeah and they're just there's just so much like back and forth like inside the museum then out then back in um it's just like it feels like action that's like not really going anywhere the, a lot of the time i guess um so once they sneak past the cat that comes to stone's office where they find a secret passage hidden behind the bookshelf down a winding staircase, they discover a lab with two large cages wrapped in strange wiring. One can contained... wait. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Do we? I may have just like, um, you know, I may have just zoned out. Did yeah. we mention Brad getting captured? I did mention it. It's just, oh. <laughs> it just happens pretty quickly. Like they find him in the museum, and yeah. they catch him and take him away. Okay. Okay. So they find these cages with Brad and the other one has the jackal headed God Anubis inside it. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just the imagery of this, just, just a statue laying like flat in a cage is so funny. To me. <laughs> uh, I appreciate him trying to like shoehorn in a little bit of information for kids, I guess, though. Yeah. I feel like it's not done real. Um, like he doesn't seem to have any knowledge almost about what he's talking about. There is a little bit more of a cultural lesson towards the end, but it's definitely like a very glazed over interpretation of who or what like Anubis was or represented as, yeah. but they at least go into the, um, the story behind Anubis slightly, even if like the idea of this guy resurrecting like Egyptian gods <laughs> is like entirely ridiculous, but also let's not gloss over the fact that in this episode, when they break in, the girl uses a Swiss army knife to, like, mm. cherry open the lock. And it really seems like in the Are You Afraid of the Dark Universe, pretty much every preteen girl has knowledge of how to crack locks, which just, <laughs> you know, does not seem yeah. re realistic. It, very, very nightly neighbors. Yeah, yeah. The weird thing is, is that she gives it a shot, can't do it, and Dustin pulls it off, which is, I think, really weird because Dustin shifts from early chapters being this book nerd to like later on he's doing all these action like hero, and like, he's the younger sibling too. So like, if he's like a nerdy guy and Brienne's like an assertive older sister, just like you would think she'd be the one who'd be able to like crack the lock if it's like a strength issue, but. I don't know. I guess Dustin just really picked it up. It's a, 
<laughs> yeah. he's already coming into his own. Yeah. Uh, until that uh, Anubis lesson later on, I feel like Dustin really like he he's called a nerd early on, but then he just he and Biren become interchangeable throughout the, in the middle of the story. And uh, there's nothing, not a, I love it if there was more of him, like, you know, being, you know, fashion, fascinated by, like, dropping facts about stuff they encounter in the museum. Or Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, well, Stone explains to a whimpering Brad that he's going to transfer the boy's life force into the Anubis statue, and that Brad will be a statue forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I know Brad's a jerk. <clears throat> I, you know, I get it. He's a bully. Sure. Uh, and we're not meant to sympathize much, but the way they like um, describe his like sobbing, like in such a judgmental way, you know, like the kids yeah, are almost like, like, like what a wimp. I can't believe he's crying for his life. Like, should we even save him? And uh, <laughs> it just feels it just feels like monster. It's like this kid is thinks he's going to die. And everybody in the room, stone included, is just like mocking this child. It's worse than death, too. It's like just permanent purgatory, essentially. Yeah. Feels a little heartless. Uh, Stone transfers. So Stone transfers the life force from Brad into Anubis and the statues come statue comes to life as Dustin and Brienne are apprehended by Stone's gargoyle guard, Grimalkin. <laughs> is that how you say it? Gr- Grimalkin? I don't know. I, couldn't say it. I was reading it as Grimalkin. Yeah, I thought Grimalkin. Anyway, the names the names here at the end are pretty bad. How do you guys uh, pronounce gotta, the name of the cat? Yeah, don't forget about Pie Wacket. <laughs> <laughs> or, or as the author who wrote the book refers to it, Cat Thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the gargoyle chases the kids through the museum while they frantically search for an escape. And the kids spray it with a fire extinguisher to trap and trap him under a bucket. But they're soon followed by Stone and the rest of his statue thugs. <laughs> the kids almost make it out, but Stone's bird cat, Piwacket, pounces on them and they're caught by Anubis. Stone takes the kids to the basement and locks Brienne up in his machine. But as he's out looking for statues to bring to life, Dustin questions whether Anubis, as God of the Dead, is judging the matter fairly. Just as they think they might have a chance... Grimalkin uh, returns and lunges at Dustin's neck. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of violence in this last half, which is a little unusual for Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah, um, I, I like the uh, the conversation that uh, Dustin has with uh, with Stone uh, before he starts talking to Anubis because he he gathers, like I said, like a good uh, nerdy boy myself would do. He gathers all the information available to him. Yeah. <laughs> He discusses it with, uh, uh, he basically learns that the statues have the attributes of their, that they were created with. So then he's yeah. like, oh, hey, Anubis, God of the Dead, the ultimate judgment. Uh, hey, what do you think of the stone guy? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love how contemplative uh, Anubis gets. Like, give me a second. And he like, wanders <laughs> off to think. <laughs> Um, Anubis fends off the gargoyle and forces Stone to transfer the life from his henchman Pericles back to Tim. The statue of Brad is then placed back into the cage, but rather than returning his life, Anubis informs them that the boy will receive someone else's life. Anubis judges that for his many misdeeds, Stone must give up his own life to Brad. 
The doctors turn to stone as the boy's life is returned, and Anubis says that he has much work to do judging this world. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, stop. Um, this is such a weird... Um, this like whole conversation of like, okay, Anubis, well, what's going to happen to you? And then this idea of like, well, I'll just wander the world and judge things as if like he won't immediately be murdered. Like, like <laughs> if some if someone saw Anubis in public, like someone would shoot this thing. Yeah, um, well, he, without the machine, he has no real weapons left. <laughs> well, we don't know the scope of his capabilities, really. <laughs> true. I suppose. I think the, another thing that we kind of uh, brushed over here, I, I thought the most interesting story in this entire book is this uh, is summed up, unfortunately, in two paragraphs here. But it's it's Pericles uh, kind of like, you know, kind of begging with Anubis, like, you know, wait, wh- why do I have to become stone again? Like, like I was granted this <laughs> yeah. gift of life. Like, what's... Uh, <laughs> It was it was pretty heavy, like you know, like this yeah. like this moral dilemma. But yeah, Pericles is pretty fat, pretty quickly. Like, yeah, you're right. Okay, you know, <laughs> I would prefer that story, honestly, to, to uh, a story of a statue that was once a man uh, that was you know once inanimate, brought to life. And it's like, what's the difference between me and you? You like you know, you were just yeah. given life. I was just given life. Yeah. No. yeah. I don't Maybe know Anubis plans on like going vigilante and he's going to find people who in his mind deserve death, but instead he's going to use their life force to first bring back, back Pericles, but then, um, you know, maybe bring back some of his old buddies, get the old gang back together, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause I mean, he's just one part of the Pantheon. Yeah. Yeah. He st- just starts running the museum. Or, you know, just years down the road, all of a sudden, this, like, wave of ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses revealed themselves. And he was just like, this is what I've been doing. Thanks, Thaddeus Stone, for bringing me back to life. Because now uh, we're ushering in a new in a new wave of um, Egyptian gods running over everything. Oh, it's so strange that any of these statues like have any particular attributes like where is anubis getting all this anubis stuff like how does he know himself as anubis how well does a statue have to be carved to take on the uh like myth that's in the carver's mind that's Hmm. uh the prequel episode the (laughs) tale of the carved stone too (laughs) It's also in it's also in Toy Story Four. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Toy Story okay, Four so. with Forky. Strange, <laughs> knows it. Um, the earlier in the story, didn't uh, Dustin like kind of see a few of the figures and realize they were fakes? Wasn't there like a? It was a cat. Sto- the cat. What was the point of that? Like the cat had a leash on, so he knew it was I fake. Think- it was foreshadowing for the winged cat that comes up. I think it's implied that that cat ah. was like a new, new thing. And like, I, I don't know, like it's, it's wonky yeah. writing, but that was what I took from it. Yeah. The, the mm. cat had a collar on it and he was like an ancient Egyptian room. So he knew that couldn't be an Egyptian artifact. So uh, he, he transferred a real, he, he transferred the life energy of a cat to the Egyptian cat. That's what I would conclude. Yeah. And then there's something missing here with Gremlikin. Is there another child in the museum that Gremlikin's 
life force got? It, it was Brad, right? Uh, that now Stone is a statue, and Brad is no is... Grimokin is before Brad. Is he? Brad Brad was in yeah. the chamber when Grimokin's just like ah. I'm just watching our guests. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're correct. I I I've actually oh, thought of a, an alternate ending to to the story where like. Uh, as they're leaving the uh, museum and Anubis is dismantling the machine, you see like down a dark corridor and there's just like, you know, dozens of statues looking at each other of people in everyday life. Yeah. Maybe uh, that'll be in the extended cut. <laughs> uh, <laughs> implying that Stone has like these two were not, these three were not like his yeah. only experiments. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish they would have done the math. Like, okay, we're missing someone here. <laughs> yeah. That is weird. What if Stone's original like birth name was just like Jenkins or something like that? And he just got so into this and he's just like, I I am Thaddeus Stone. I feel like Thaddeus Stone. So that's what I'm changing my name to. Uh, that, that's another pu- punch up I thought of about Stone. And uh, I, I don't know enough about linguistics, but Thaddeus probably has some sort of like <laughs> relationship to that as well. And I like the, I like the thought that he thinks he's good at naming things like you're Pie Wacket and you're Gremlin Kid, <laughs> like this guy who's I mean, just terrible at naming stuff. I didn't do the research, but for all like those sound like they could be realistic, like mythological creatures, because I, I feel like I've heard both of those terms in one way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't I know. If, I, I had to do some research on it, but I didn't. High yeah. it is a thing. I don't know about Grimlin. I know it's a recent movie. <laughs> is it? Uh, yeah, a movie came out a year or two called Pie I think it's like a British horror movie, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. So, uh, it has no relationship to the tale of the statues, <laughs> to my knowledge. Uh, well, speaking <laughs> it, on, uh, it quite on possibly on. could be like a 20 year later, like a gritty yeah. reboot. <laughs> speaking on their names, I mean, I guess this is part of me that is Dustin, but the guard is Pericles. That's a mm-hmm. real, yeah. like, ancient Athens figure. Yeah. 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 So I, I was mean, like, you could have changed the name, try to throw me for a little bit of a loop here. The second they said his name, I was like, yeah, he's a statue. Okay. Yeah, that <laughs> was like clue number seven. <laughs> uh, the, the the one thing that I thought was interesting, a big kind of plot hole in Stone's plan here is just that his motivation, as he describes it, is that he just thinks it's cool. <laughs> like, he thinks it'd be cool to have all these, like, creatures, like, walking around that used to be statues. Yeah. But <laughs> and he really doesn't like children. <laughs> Yeah, right. But then he sees for a Anubis, he's like, "Ah, cool! You're like a like a dog head on a person. Awesome, neat. I'm a big fan," is what he says. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I'm like, don't. And then literally the you know the kid, the thirteen year old's like, you know, hey, are, don't you judge people for doing bad stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he, he's the curator at the museum. Doesn't he know Anubis isn't going to look well yeah. on him? He has no idea what he's doing. He is. Or why he's doing it. He has no idea what's what these statues are. It's like he wants, he wants like a Stepford world of statues. I want unicorns I so. and dragons to fly. <laughs> it, it maybe be a little more dimensional if like he wanted like he works at the museum because he was like uh, shamed in his profession. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he wants Anubis <laughs> to judge like his previous peers. Yeah. <laughs> or you know. Andrew, was there more? No, that's I mean the epilogue of Midnight Society. Yeah. Uh, should we hear that from Candace? 
Oh, yeah. Dustin, Brianne, Tim, and Brad returned home. They never told anyone what had happened. As Dustin pointed out, who would have believed them? Brad stopped being a bully. He developed a nervous habit of looking over his shoulder all the time, as if he expected to see someone there. Tim never again used his felt-tip pen on anything other than paper. He never played another practical joke on Dustin, either. Brianne discovered that liking to read didn't make her brother a wimp, and she always remembered that Dustin had saved her life. But that didn't prevent her from teasing him, at least once in a while. And Dustin? Well, let's just say that Dustin showed a lot more self-confidence from then on. But he never visited that museum again. As for Anibis, Piwacket, and Grimlikin, well, as far as anyone knows, they're still out there somewhere. So I'd be careful if I were you. Someone might be watching your every move. Someone who will judge if you're naughty or nice. And I'm not talking about Santa Claus. I hereby declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Come back again anytime, if you dare. Um, okay, so there's this, there's this last part that she had just mentioned here, which is, um, as for Anubis, Piwacket, and Gremlinkin, well, as far as anyone knows, they're still out there somewhere. So I'd be yeah. careful if I were you. Someone may be watching your every move. Someone who will judge if you're naughty or nice. And I'm not talking about Santa Claus. <laughs> like, Man. Gary would never. We should say yeah. this is a Gary story. Gary would never. No. I hated that epilogue. That was awful. Yeah. Not least of all because of the Santa Claus thing. <laughs> yeah, that was just like a perfect, terrible uh, icing on the cake, that Santa Claus line. Yeah. 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 And the and just leave well enough alone. Like it, it's like I hereby declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Come back again anytime <laughs> if you dare. Like again, I'll pass. <laughs> yeah, you said this is what the, the first book in the series. Yeah. yeah. If this was a, a TV pilot, I don't know if I would review renew it. <laughs> I mean, I really thought the story wasn't as bad as you guys did, um, and I'm I'm not gonna like super defended or anything but i enjoyed it but that that outro is definitely whack uh gary would never say that and it's like i feel like at the very least there should have been a preliminary amount of research to realize that they're called tales not cases and that <laughs> gary's not and i ain't talking about santa claus just like that's um, not gary's type of humor yeah, yeah. if I, anything he'll just make a dad joke and call it closed <laughs> I really didn't think it was that terrible. I mean, I was probably harder on it during this than I felt about it, but um, I felt like it, I wish the first half of it was just like as insane as the last 25 pages, whatever, like just yeah. go all out crazy, forget the rules or whatever. And uh, you know, just like entertain me every step of the way. Yeah. It was pretty rough early on, but I felt like once it got juicy, it was a good ending. And it had a lot of my favorite tropes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, including the person who can just break any lock, like, immediately. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, I mean, I, like, I, I wish I had that skill. Yeah, for sure. It seems to be just, like, something they taught to middle schoolers in Canada at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... 
uh, I, I decided to look at some of the online reviews for The Tale of the Sinister Statues on Amazon. It has two reviews, and they are both five-star reviews, so it has a perfect oh. score. On <laughs> and they're, they're, they're pretty glowing. Um, on One by Anubis. Uh, Goodreads. <laughs> One by Grimalkin. <laughs> that would be so good if uh, yeah, people started doing that. Um, on Goodreads, it has a 3.3.8. Um, you know, Lacey says the plot is definitely predictable, but uh, that never bothers me in these kind of in these kind of books. I enjoy reading them because they're fun reads. I got a Frankenstein slash House of Wax vibe from this story. Not too bad for the first in the series. Uh, Matt says, unbelievably, this was a pretty decent. This was pretty decent for its genre. I'd liken it to a disappointing episode of the TV series. The writing wasn't bad, just general plot was. Um, five stars. And, um, <laughs> five stars. Did you say five stars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then on Thrift Books, it has a 4.5, um, but that's out of only two reviews. Um, someone said, I liked this book in capital letters. Um, and the other person says, four stars kids will enjoy it i read this book this was this review was from 2000 when this book was fresh um it said i read this book a year ago and in grade school and while i don't remember a whole lot about it i do remember that i enjoyed it at the time i was looking for a book that would scare me but not enough to keep me up at night and this book was perfect for that i recommend it to kids that like creepy books but scare too easily to read most of them smiley face um so, nice. couple couple reviews out there seems like people are mostly in the positive uh range here but uh why don't we give our own ratings to sinister statues um andrew what did you give sinister statues out of five crib stars um well i even have a uh alternate intro to hit you up with before i give you my uh rating <laughs> is it is it five pages like no <laughs> just one. a couple sentences um if you've ever been to a museum then you know some of the statues look so real they almost seem like they're alive but what if they really could be brought to life think of all the things we could learn about lost civilizations and gargoyles they say <laughs> knowledge is power but the kids in my story are about to find out that some information isn't worth the price of admission Ooh, love it. Uh, I, I gave it a two and a half. Um, okay. I, you know, again, like stuff that we've pretty much went over, thought it was very slow at the beginning. That's my main complaint. But I liked how it picked up at the end. Um, you know, the writing's not like incredible. Uh, gets the point across, though, I guess. Um I, was, I, I thought all these uh, crazy names, like, even if I can accept that they, like, connect to um, historical figures and whatnot, um, but it kind of, uh, just annoyed me a little bit with that being, like, almost the entire, like, uh, like the breadth of uh, how deep they go into history. It's, like, the names, mostly. Um, and they do hit about it on Anubis a little bit later, but uh, it just felt like uh, John Peel maybe got some names and <laughs> just used them. Um, so, um, you know, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't like something that I would ever want to read again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Cool. Uh, what about you, Tim? Uh, I guess, I mean, for what it is, again, comparing it largely to Goosebumps the Books and Are You Afraid of the Dark the Show, I felt like it would have been a pretty good episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark. It would have been a better than average written um, edition of a Goosebumps book. So, I mean, I'm not going to go crazy. I'll give it a three and a half. I think it was fun if um, I had a 10 to 12 year old in my life who was interested in that sort of stuff. I would definitely recommend it to them. Um, and, you know, it was a fun read. I'm not going to reread it, but that's because I'm a grown man. And um, <laughs> it was fun to like have that bit of nostalgia. And yeah. Um, okay, cool. Uh, what about you, um, Adam? Oh man, it's it's one of those where it's like I, every time I look at it again, I it changes. Maybe it's because I have a lot some nostalgia for like uh, the time when I first read it six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna give it a a, a two out of five Krebs stars okay. uh, because it, it knows what it wants to do. And on my second read, I've I've discovered what the arc was, and that made me respect it a little bit more. Uh, and it, it's got some good ideas, but I I would not recommend it to my younger self. Here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, read the okay. Wheel of Time or whatever fantasy stuff you're later going to get into. Instead, yeah. yeah. Vince. Well, compared to Restless House, I gave it a two, but this book I'm going to give it two and a half, two point okay. five. So I enjoyed it more than the Restless House book, but I thought. The ending, I know it definitely got fast-paced towards the end, but the science aspect of it, I just didn't identify as an Are You Afraid of the Dark for me at that point. I would have preferred if this curator, Professor Stone, had a different method of transforming you know, the life into a statue, even if it was like witchcraft or just something else. But for what it was, 2.5. Yeah. Cool. I, I definitely... um. I agree with uh, kind of what you just said there, Vince. I just wish the ending had been something else. Um, even though that's kind of where they were leading us, it just felt a little like not. Are you afraid of the dark? Um, I, I gave it a I gave it a one point five. Um, I think that's mainly for the fact that I like the setting of a museum. Like I think a museum is just such a great place to set a story, um, and a scary story at that is seems like a really like you could do so much with it. Um, I almost got like a sense of like, he could have just as easily done like the restless house scenario in this book. Right. Cause the rooms are already geared to like come to yeah, life. True. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was um, going to say uh, the, the later on uh, night at the museum does a much better job with the premise. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's a lot more fun um, with the premise. So it seems like kind of the decisions he made here, like, the fact that it's set in a museum, but the focus is statues, which I don't know about you guys, but like I very rarely go to museums where like statues are the thing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I guess, I guess wax figures, but um, I don't know, like stone statues is just a weird focus. Um, anyway, yeah. So I've talked about it. I, I, this was laborsome for me and uh, I would not recommend it to anybody. Uh I'm so sorry to the people who bought it. Wow. <laughs> no, you drove the prices up on Amazon. <laughs> it was one price when I ordered it, and then two weeks later, it shot up. <laughs> John Peel owes us some residuals here for sure. No joke, a lot of the uh, 
are you afraid of the dark Amazon books have gone from being like just a few bucks and like I've bought a few of them now just because I'm interested in collecting them but like seriously they're all up to like 30 to 50 at this point yes. wow um, okay well uh, that'll be our last are you afraid of the dark book club <laughs> <laughs> no this is too much fun the, the oh, prices man. will drive back down again it, it, like it's it's because Brett Wilson is coming out with that book there's all this like are you afraid of the dark like excitement going on yeah, for I sure think- I think they also realize what a precious resource this is because this story doesn't exist. There's no like Wikipedia review, yeah. <laughs> no, like summary. Yeah. You, there's can't no... find, you can't find video reviews on YouTube. I there's mean, no audio book. Like, it's yeah. on the brink of becoming lost media and we are becoming the archivists. Yeah. Um, I didn't get my job at the Smithsonian like I wanted, but this will do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part, part of how we pick our books is definitely the price. I, oh, I feel yeah. like. We like narrowed down to a couple, and it's like, all right, well, that one's ten dollars. So. Yeah, I, I think I got this one. Like at the time, I think I paid three bucks plus shipping, and I mean, it's oh. it's in not perfect condition, but it's like what I would consider very good. If you've heard, if you've heard book sounds throughout the podcast, they were my copy. What's <laughs> that? If you heard book sounds, it's coming from my like antique over here. Oh, gotcha. Um, through all your notes. Like. Mm-hmm. Did you guys enjoy the glow in the dark cover? Oh, it reminds me a lot of Buzz from the first episode, (laughs) Tale of the Phantom Cab. It's like the same face reaction he makes when he sees the um, what is it, the uh, boar's brain in the jar in um, Vink's cabin. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed the. They could have done better. I I enjoy the tattoos inside. Mine were torn out, man. You lucked out. (laughs) Oh yeah. Go up. You, yeah, throw those on, on um, Amazon Marketplace. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a few bucks for them. <laughs> are you kidding me? This thing's going up. <laughs> are, wait, are they stickers or tattoos? It's the ta- the tattoos, yeah. Ooh, yeah. That one for Alex Mack and some Nickelodeon logos. Yeah, no, this is... Uh, oh, I'm glad oh, I... Man. Thanks for your investment tip on this book. It's been a real... <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm glad I obtained it early. Oh, yeah. Now I'm jealous. For, for for more uh, Nickelodeon book tips, uh, I, just because this relates to, to my other show, uh, Keenan and Kel, uh book, uh, Good Burger to Go, is going down in price. It used to be only available for like like literally like hundred two hundred dollars. Now it's down to something a little more reasonable. If I'm, you, I'm, I'm doing a Keenan and Kel rewatch right now, so I'll definitely check out your show. I saw it when we were doing like the. Um the messaging on Twitter and I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm interested to check it out because I rewatched it and I've, I've got some thoughts about it (laughs) Um, and I'm wondering if you address them because there is some content in that show that I find extremely questionable. Absolutely. They, uh, I mean, like I know the people behind it and it's like, it's pretty obvious what's going on when you realize Dan Schneider was like the showrunner or whatever, but that's a conversation. For a different time, I'm I'm guessing you address it because I I've enjoyed rewatching the show, but sometimes I say this is inappropriate. Um, I uh just want to note that I love that glow in the dark feature of this cover and that and like what it kind of uh marks about that period of time where like somehow this hundred page like four dollar paperback got a um glow in the dark cover like that's just insane and 
may it's never happen again. Probably like a third of the manufacturing cost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the uh, the glowing and the dark cover, uh, it rocked my socks. One night I woke up and it was just like, <laughs> it was so exciting. It felt like being a kid again. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of this cover, does did you see the little tagline? Do you think that makes sense? Will Dustin be trapped in the past? I was going to mention that. I thought it was pretty, I mean, I get it like how it lightly connects to this, but I thought it was pretty ridiculous. That sounds more like restless house fitting then. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think they didn't want to say like trapped in stone because <laughs> they were like trying to keep some sort of element of surprise as to what was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. In case you didn't figure it out in the first mind. 20 pages. <laughs> it should almost say like trapped in the present though. In the yeah. statue, yeah. you know, like <laughs> trap forever. Yeah. Will Dustin be history? There you go. Yeah. Yes, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody call Minstrel Books and get this kind of guy on their tagline department. I'll write the whole thing. I got some great ideas. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll charge half of what Tom what hey, maybe John we, wants. We should make our own line of like new AYA of 2 dd books and, uh, yeah. you know. It's definitely going through a resurgence. Um, we can make them geared towards millennials instead of preteens in 1993. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Andrew, did you notice the graphic on the cover of uh, you could win a visit to Nickelodeon Studios oh, yeah. in Orlando, Florida? You bet. Um, <laughs> there's a mail-in form in the back. I say we all do it. Let's go yeah. take a trip to Nickelodeon Studios, see who gets slimed first. Contest ends 12 95 Do you think I'll be able to meet Alex Mack? <laughs> My book doesn't have that, so I guess the former oh. owner tried <laughs> and did win. I like it. The, the first place grand prize is a weekend, four days, three night trip to Nickelodeon Studios. Three first place prizes is a Nickelodeon collection of ten videos. Man, that's Ooh. the one that that's the one that I would have wanted as a kid. Yeah, like, I remember seeing that, and being like, "Man, if I could just win that!" Oh yeah, twenty five second prizes a Clarissa board game, and fifty third prizes a one year subscription to Nickelodeon magazine, which would have been just fine. Yeah, also great. Yeah, um, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, also, on the copy that we read. Uh, there's a Toys R Us sticker. Yes. Um, which I just want to note as like people almost kind of like to some extent search out that stuff like that has those old price stickers on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just kind of an interesting. We've got a Nickelodeon video advertisement in the back of mine too. Oh. Yeah, I love that. I, I love all the old ads. Yeah. I mean, oof. I wonder what would happen uh, if they would send me anything back if I sent in this. You could win a trip to Nickelodeon Studios. I'm not seeing a um, an expiration date, so there there is. It's um December 29th, 1995. Oh, I just missed it. <laughs> it just says 95. Um, so that's a little unclear. Yeah, mine's also very keen that it's void in Puerto Rico. In my mind, yeah. that gives me 75 years to uh, get this in, just by the year 2095. Yeah. Oh, you know what's cool? Um, where you send the postcard is on the 13th floor of the 1230 <laughs> Avenue of America's New York, New York. That is good. Do yeah. <laughs> I want to meet Leonid. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Does this count real. as part of the book? Because I might want to adjust my score. <laughs> <laughs> um, it doesn't. But should we? Should we name the episode? Oh yeah. Or, uh, well, name the book, yeah. <laughs> uh, I call this story The Tale of the Mixed Up Museum. Ooh, that's good. Um, Tim, did you think of anything? Yeah, I, I so I'm thinking of two variations on the same title, but I'm thinking The Tale of the Stone Cold or <laughs> Just the Tale of Stone Cold. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, like it's got layers to it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's definitely got layers. Yeah, Older have layers, <laughs> like an onion. Um, what about you, Adam? Anything? Uh, yeah, uh, I'd call it the the tale of the Medusa machine. Mm. Ooh. Ooh, that's that's good. enticing. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Vince. What do you got? So I renamed it The Tale of the Curator's Craft. The Tale of what? The Curator. Curator's Craft. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was <Yeah>. hard. <laughs> Are you saying crap or craft? Craft. Craft. <laughs> like as in craft macaroni and cheese? <laughs> craft or as in it... like witchcraft. Oh, okay. okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm signing off now. Because I, was... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> The curator's craft would fit too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think craft is a little bit more uh, true. <laughs> oh boy, um, that, that's good. That's good. Um, I prefer craft. Um, okay, uh, I just called this the tale. The tale of the mustached. <laughs> the tale of the mustache statues. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't think of anything. Uh, okay, so uh, go back around one more time. Uh, the Tale of the Mixed Up Museum. The Tale of the Stone Cold. This Tale of the Medusa Machine. The Tale of the Curator's Craft. <laughs> <laughs> and the Tale of the Mustached Statues. Uh, we'll post those. People can vote. Oh, you know what? Um, sorry, before we totally get off the subject, um, I did notice one other thing in the book um at one point dustin says he saw a movie in which people were sealed inside sculptures bucket of blood man yeah. i wanted to mention yep. that too i loved that <laughs> reference i can't believe they referenced bucket of blood like dick miller was the man <laughs> that must have been the one horror movie that uh john peel had seen at that point <laughs> no, i mean every 10 year old in 1995 was really into um low budget 50s horror yeah, movies yeah. <laughs> That wraps up our second ever book club, uh, The Tale of the Sinister Statues. I'm sure we'll do another. I, you know, Andrew, you and I kind of caught on to the fact that there's um, like there's a 15 book series. There's a yeah. think maybe Clarissa. <laughs> definitely Alex Mack has a bunch. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure what. So you guys want to drive the prices up for all those? The prices are actually going down right now for uh, uh, for Keenan and Kel's. Uh, was it Good Burger to Go? Yeah. So 
Yeah, you mentioned that. I'll take a look, but it still sounds pricey. And I, I will check out your podcast because, again, I've been watching Keenan and Kel. There's some good jokes. They're both great comedians, but some of that writing material. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I was paying attention. I was following that price for a long time. Yeah, Adam, what is the what is the name of the podcast for people who might be interested? It's uh, called Keenan and Kel with Adam and Aaron. So it's <laughs> my, my, cool. my brother and I are currently going through the Keenan and Kel series. Nice. Do you have any favorites so far? Uh, well, I, I, of uh, we're on season two right now. Season one, there's a lot of uh, standout ones to me. I, I'm a big guy, yeah. a fan of uh, Mo Sweater Blues myself. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's also, of course, like, hey, we're getting close to this <laughs> now that Halloween's over. I joined us for uh, Keenan's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> the Keenan Christmas episode is one of the more sweet. Christmas episodes that Nickelodeon ever put out, though. Yeah, um, absolutely. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember even as a child feeling very like heartwarmed by it. It is a very sweet episode, and I feel like, um, I mean, Keenan is typically like a compassionate character, but just there, there's just a lot of love that went into that, and I I appreciate that to this day. A lot of Christmas episodes can be hackneyed, but that like had a meaning behind it. Yeah, we really get it into it too because for all the kind of jerk moves that Keenan has throughout the series, he's got that his heart shown on that episode really uh, kind of yeah. justifies it. He goes <laughs> way beyond what the average like fifteen year old would be willing to do to make like some poor family happy. Absolutely, it's still no Arnold Christmas special in terms of uh, tear jerkers, uh, but yeah. it'd be good verses. <laughs> Yeah, I bet I bet Joey would get Arnold in that one. <laughs> uh, so, Andrew, as you mentioned, we're deep in the Podtober. We're we're about to take our last stop on Halloween next week. Uh, what are we doing for Halloween? We're going to talk about none other than the tale of the Midnight Ride. Yeah, a um, I feel like a hotly contested episode. Yeah, like some people love it, is. some people yeah. don't. Um. I've traditionally been in the camp of not enjoying it. I think you, I think you like it a little more than I do. Um, yeah. Gonna put it to the test. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I have a, I have a question about that song. After, after you, after the line, you gotta put it to the test. What is the like altered voice saying? Because I know what it sounds like to me, and I know that this is a uh, versus. clean right? <laughs> versus. Okay, because. Um, can I say something you're going to have to bleep out? <laughs> sure. Like, it sounds like it's just a guy going, <laughs> hey, like, I can, like, that is all I can hear. Uh, uh well, that's interesting. <laughs> I, it's definitely versus. I believe you. I believe, I like, I'm not doubting it, but that's like, do you, somebody somewhere must know what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, it's that's very, interesting. Yeah, it's very similar to uh, the curator's crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Vince's version. Yeah. Except for um, I've had like years to hear it and be like, what are they really saying? And I, it's like verses has never come to mind, even though that's obvious. But it just sounds like something else. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. Mystery solved. It's verses. Okay. Um, <laughs> Your, your Q&A episode just got a little shorter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Midnight Ride will be next week with uh, our great guest, Vaughn. She'll be back. Um, in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, we are on uh, Twitter at BOC Podcast, Instagram at Orange Couch Podcast. You can email us at orangecouchpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Shout out to our two newest reviewers, EMS60, who says, take your mind to a nostalgic place. Uh, and GQ1221, BOC Forever. Appreciate those uh, reviews. It helps other people find us. And uh, speaking of appreciating, Adam, Tim, Vince, thanks for... Uh, not only talking to us, but thanks for reading this book. Yeah, of course. It was a blast. <laughs> Fun. Happy to talk about it. Um, well, it was great having all you guys, and we'll see all you flying stone cat things <laughs> next episode. <laughs> I was debating Swedish fish, roasted peanuts or licorice. I was so, so stone and starving. I was holding some water pills. you guys uh interview john peel you should probably ask him about it <laughs> i don't think i'd have the heart to i've just not been i've just not been very nice that's the thing you know he'd check out he would check out the episodes and he would be like what are they just gonna like roast me yeah. entire i would be surprised if you remembered this yeah i am yeah and i mean honestly i doubt he would be too personally offended <laughs> well i've never <laughs> Have you read my eerie I Indiana? I my heart and soul into Sinister Statues. <laughs> I bet it's Shelby Wu work is um, just beyond comparison. Uh, you can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Spotify.